Hello, my name is Dr. Jim Doty, and I'm the host of the Into the Magic Shop podcast, where we explore the mysteries of the brain and the secrets of the heart. Today, I'm happy to share with you a conversation that I had with Thich Nhat Hanh as part of the Stanford Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education Conversation on Compassion series in November of 2013. As many of you know, Ty, as he's fondly called by so many of his followers, who is now unfortunately deceased, is a Vietnamese Buddhist monk, peace activist, prolific author, poet, teacher, and founder of Plum Village. He's recognized as the main inspiration for, quote, engaged Buddhism, unquote, and is considered by many to be the father of mindfulness. He's also been a major influence in regard to Western Buddhism. This is a two-part conversation. I hope you enjoy. Welcome. Thank you all so much for coming this evening. It's really a uh, extraordinary joy for me to be here uh, with one of my personal heroes, Thich Nhat Hanh, or Tay, as he is called by his students, is one of the best known and respected Zen masters. But in addition, he has spent his whole life promoting compassion, kindness to others, and being a tireless advocate for human rights, nonviolence, and peace. As many of you know, he's written a large number of books. He has spoken and taught around the world, and he's been a role model to so many people in their lives, and he's led an extraordinary life. The reason we're chatting today is because of a program that I run here at Stanford called Seek Care. And I think many of you may be aware of it, but um, if you don't, it's called the Center for Compassion and Altruism Research and Education. And this is a program we have here at Stanford where we work with neuroscientists, psychologists, and a variety of disciplines really trying to understand the neurologic basis of compassionate behavior. And also, the reality is that when individuals are compassionate, it actually, as we found through science, uh, it's when our physiology works best. One thing that we have found through science is that we can actually change our brain through mind training. Now, of course, the fascinating thing is that... It's taken scientists hundreds and hundreds of years, and if we had just looked back, which we are, of course, now doing to the monastic traditions, they, of course, knew this all along, and uh, only now we are actually catching up. And in fact, many of these contemplative traditions, the entire basis is oriented around compassionate behavior because they have known and we have now shown through science that when we're compassionate, not only does it improve the lives of others and serve others, 
but it is of great benefit to each of us. It makes us feel better. It lowers our blood pressure. It makes us happy at a very, very deep level. And in fact, as we're now learning, it also increases our lifespan. And the amazing thing is that many of the greatest things that promote a happy life are actually things that are completely free and available to all of us every day. It's always interesting, I think, to people, and I know, of course, some of your history, but as I understand it, when you were quite a young age, you decided to become a monk and lead a monastic life. And that's, in many ways, a life that the average person has a very difficult time thinking about the possibilities that they could even do that. But for you, what was it about that tradition or becoming a Buddhist that inspired you so much? Uh, I was uh, 16 when I uh, was ordained as a Buddhist uh, novice. I had learned that um, during the Li and the Tang dynasties, um, Buddhism was uh, flourishing. And uh, kings and uh, subjects and the population practiced Buddhism, and it had uh, many hundreds of years of peace. So that impressed me very much. Uh, I believed as a, a young man that uh, if you practice Buddhism well, you can serve your nation, your country, your people. And that is one thing. When I was younger, about uh, 11 or 12, one day I saw the drawing of uh, the Buddha uh, in uh, the cover of a Buddhist magazine. He was sitting on the grass, very calm, very pleasant. I told myself I want to be someone like him. <laughs> because people around me were not as uh, calm, as uh, happy. And these things uh, have pushed me to become uh, a monastic. One of the challenges, though, I think, is you were in Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And, of course, many of the monks stayed in the monastery. And uh, I know you have promoted, if you will, engaged Buddhism or engaged spirituality. What made you decide to actually engage and uh, become an activist? And how did you overcome what I would presume fear about what might happen? When uh, the practice of Buddhism is uh, mindfulness, uh, concentration and insight, and mindfulness is the kind of energy that helps you to know what is going on. Going on in your body, your feelings, your perceptions, your mental formations, your consciousness. And going on around you, in your family, in your community, in your country. So if you are aware of what is going on around you, you see the suffering. And you would like to do something in order to help people suffer less. And uh, I always, from the time becoming a monk, I wanted to have that kind of Buddhism that, uh, that, can, that can really help people, not Buddhist studies, 
but uh, the the kind of practice that can really help you to suffer less and help people to suffer less. And that is why we have um, created a current of thinking and of action called uh, Engaged Buddhism, the Buddhism Angashi. And uh, we study Buddhism and apply Buddhism in such a way that we can really solve the problems uh, we are facing in our families, in our communities, in our society. One of the challenges, though, I think for many people is that there is so much suffering. And as an example, I'm a doctor, and uh, uh, one of the things that happens to doctors, and especially people, if you will, in the caring professions, is they get overwhelmed with suffering, as does the average person. And they say there's so much suffering, but what can I do? Uh, people are afraid of being overwhelmed by suffering. And uh, they lose their hope, their courage, and so on. There must be a way uh, to live in order for you to, uh, to be strong enough in order to, um, to handle the suffering inside of you. And if you don't know how to handle the suffering in, inside of you, you cannot help another person to suffer less. That is why the practice of mindfulness, uh, first of all, is to help you yourself to suffer less. First of all, you have to learn how to release the tension in your body, how to reduce the pain in your body. And the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, sitting meditation, total relaxation can be very helpful in reducing the pain in your body. And then with the practice of mindfulness, you can, you can learn how to create, generate a feeling of joy and of, and of uh, happiness or of happiness. And this can be done by anyone if uh, we, we want to, uh, to learn. Uh, for instance, when you uh, breathe in, and if you focus your attention on your in-breath, then you can bring your mind home to your body. And there is the energy of mindfulness, concentration in your in-breath. And you realize that you are alive because uh, someone who is already dead doesn't breathe in anymore. So uh, one in-breath that may last three or four seconds can create mindfulness, concentration, and insight. When the body and the mind are together, you are established in the present moment, in the here and the now. And you can get in touch with the wonders of life that are available in the here and the now. And, and with that kind of mindfulness and concentration, you realize that you are lucky enough, luckier than many people. You have enough conditions to be happy right now, right here. And you don't have to run into the future to look for happiness. And that happens after three or four seconds of practice of mindful breathing. You get the insight that there are conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now. You are very lucky. You are alive. Insight can can happen just after a few seconds of practice. And if you recognize that uh, these uh, conditions of happiness are there available, so you can create a feeling of joy and of happiness right away. So a good practitioner of mindfulness can create a, a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness for him, for her, 
and for the other person, and that is easy and enough. And then the mindfulness practice can help you to go home to yourself in order to to get in touch with the pain, the suffering, the despair, the anger, the violence inside. And uh, with the energy of mindfulness and insight, you know how to handle the suffering within yourself. You are compassionate toward yourself. Because love for another person depends on your capacity to love yourself. If you don't know how to love yourself and take care of yourself, how can you love and take care of another person? So uh, the practitioner learns how to suffer, how to handle the pain suffering inside of him or her. And because he knows how to do that with uh, compassion, with insight, with uh, mindfulness, he can suffer much less than uh, other people who do not know the practice. And uh, he can he can go further. He can make good use of the suffering in order to create something more positive, like understanding and compassion. It's like people who grow lotus flowers. They know how to make good use of mud in order to grow a lotus. No mud, no lotus. No suffering, no happiness, no compassion. So, so um, the practitioner generating the energy of mindfulness and concentration recognize the pain in him or in her and embrace it uh, tenderly. And the fact that you can recognize and embrace your pain can bring you a relief. Because the pain is a kind of energy, and mindfulness is another kind of energy. This energy, embracing the other energy, will make uh, produce a kind of change, like a mother holding her baby. The baby suffers. The mother does not know yet what is the cause of the suffering of the baby. But the fact that she's holding the baby tenderly can make the baby suffer less right away. Because that there is the energy of tenderness from the mother penetrating into the body of the baby that brings a relief. And if uh, she uh, continues with uh, mindful holding, and she will find out the cause that makes the baby suffer. And then she can change the situation. So the practitioner... Uh, while holding his pain, her anger, it's like holding our own baby. We have to, to handle the suffering in us tenderly with non-violence. We should not try to suppress the pain. We should not uh, suppress our baby, our own baby. And uh, you get a relief. And if uh, you know how to practice, you can gradually transform uh, the pain, the, the, the anger, and the despair in you. So um, the practice of mindfulness helps people to, uh, to suffer in a such a way that they suffer much, much less than other people who do not know how to practice, to get a relief, and to make good use of the suffering in order to create understanding and compassion that are the very foundation of happiness. There is a deep uh, connection between suffering and happiness. 
It's like um, the connection between the mud and the lotus. If uh, you have the time to listen to your own suffering, to look deeply into the nature of your own suffering, understanding will arise. Understanding here means understanding of the suffering. And uh, when understanding arises, compassion is born. That is the, the mechanics of uh, compassion. When you look at another person, if you have the time, and if you look at him or her mindfully and with concentration, you can recognize the suffering in that person. And if you are more concentrated, you can find out that that person does not know how to handle the suffering in him. And that is why he remains victim of his own suffering. So far, no one has helped him to handle the suffering in him. And if, since he suffers, he makes the other people around him suffer, even if he doesn't want to do so. So with mindfulness and concentration, you can realize, you can recognize the suffering in him and understand the suffering. And if that understanding arises, you are not angry at him anymore. And compassion, because compassion has been born in your heart. And when compassion is born in your heart, you don't suffer anymore. It's like a miracle. And instead of trying to punish him or her for having made you suffer, you want to say something or to do something in order to, to help him suffer less. And that can be done in our daily life with the practice of mindfulness uh, and concentration. So if we understand our own suffering, and then it will be much easier for us to understand the suffering of another person and help him. And that is why the meditation on compassion, on suffering should begin with yourself. Because our suffering carries within itself the suffering of our father, of our mother, of our ancestors. Maybe our father suffered so much and he did not know how to, ha- to transform and handle the suffering he has transmitted to you. And they are in your genes. And that is why you are a receiver of that transmission. You have to accept it. And if you know the practice, you will transform the suffering of your father in you, which is also your, your own suffering. And your suffering also reflects the suffering of your society, of your nation. And if you understand your own suffering, you understand the suffering of your community, of your nation, of your people. And that is why understanding suffering is very important for compassion to arise. And once compassion um, is there, you suffer much less. And suffering um, has a positive role to say, to do. Uh, we can speak about the goodness, the usefulness of suffering. It's like the goodness, the usefulness of, uh, usefulness of uh, the mud in helping producing lotus flowers. And that's why my idea of the kingdom of God is not a place where there is no suffering. If there is no suffering, there is no happiness either. That is the teaching of interbeing. Interbeing. You cannot be by yourself alone. You have to interbe with us. The left 
cannot be by itself alone. The left has to be the right, uh, to in the be with the right. If uh, you remove the right, the left disappears right away. If politically you are on the left, don't wish that the right will disappear. <laughs> If the right disappears, you did disappear, disappear also. <laughs> so that is the teaching of interbeing. Interbeing means you cannot be. You can only interbeing. And I think compassion is uh, like everything else. Compassion cannot be by itself. When you look into a flower, you see the flower is made of non-flower elements, like a cloud. I can see a cloud, and I can touch a cloud in the flower, because all of us know that without the cloud, there will be no rain and no flower can grow. So when I look into the flower, I see non-flower elements, including the element of a cloud. I see the sunshine. I see the minerals, the earth, the gardener, and so on. Non-flower elements coming together in order to help the flower to manifest as a wonder of life. Compassion is a flower, and compassion is made of non-compassion elements. I think we all, uh, at least, uh, acknowledge that some of our greatest poets. Like yourself, some of uh, the greatest humanitarians, and some of the people who we consider enlightened beings have suffered extraordinary amounts, and it is getting wisdom through that suffering, and not, I think, running away from the suffering that uh, allows them to do that. I think one of the challenges in modern society, and one of the burdens we have as humans, is one that you mentioned, which is. If science has shown, as an example, when they survey people, that over 75% of the time they're thinking of the past or the future, they're not thinking of the present. And you talk about mindfulness, which brings us in the present moment. But I think sometimes people look at somebody like yourself and say, "This is an individual who has spent literally decades of their lives dedicated to meditation, mindfulness practice." For the individuals who, while they may look at your picture and want to be like you, they may not be able to have the capacity to become quite as enlightened. But what can individuals do in their daily lives? Does it really take hours and hours of deep contemplative practice, or can you practice mindfulness every moment? Well, everyone can uh, can practice. Uh... Generating the energy of compassion in order to suffer less. If we uh, have the courage to go back to ourselves and listen to our own suffering, and then we can begin to understand our suffering and begin to suffer less. Many of us do not want to do so. Most of us are trying to run away from ourselves because we believe that going home to ourselves. We might be overwhelmed by the pain, the suffering, the despair inside. So most of people in our society try to cover up the suffering by the way of consuming. We consume music, newspapers, uh, 
food, internet, everything that help us not to go home to ourselves. And many of the items we consume have uh, toxins like uh, anger, fear, despair, craving, and that make our suffering inside could continue to grow. So the real practice is to try to go home without fear. And if you know how to practice mindful breathing, mindful walking, you can generate the energy of mindfulness and concentration, and with which you can go home to yourself without fear. You are protected by these energies. If you are new in the practice, you can rely on the collective energy of mindfulness of a community of practice. And then um, going home to yourself, recognizing the pain in yourself, embracing the pain in yourself will bring you a relief. You can do that with the support of co-practitioners. Because when you are in a community of practice, when you live with a community of practice where there are many practitioners know how to generate the energy of compassion, energy of mindfulness, you can borrow that collective energy in order to recognize and embrace your pain and your sorrow. And that is why compassion can be an individual energy, but can be a collective energy. And maybe scientists can measure the degree, the intensity of that kind of energy when we practice in order to generate the energy of compassion. We practice like a drop of water. A drop of water has to allow the whole river to embrace it and to transport it. So sitting in a community of practice, you say to yourself, Dear community, dear brothers and sisters in the practice, here is my pain, here is my sorrow, my despair. My mindfulness is not strong enough to hold them. Please help me to hold my, my pain, my sorrow, my despair. And that is uh, in the tradition. Uh, if you want to practice well, you, you should have a community practice supporting you and guiding you. And um, when you practice, uh, a few weeks later, you can be on your own because now you can generate your own energy of mindfulness and concentration in order to handle the suffering in yourself. And uh, I think uh, compassion has the power to heal. And compassion is never enough. In these days, uh, psychotherapists uh, talk about uh, comp compassion fatigue. I think uh, if uh, psychotherapists uh, run out of compassion, <laughs> because they don't know how to keep producing compassion, it's not because they have too much compassion but because they run out of compassion. Compassion is kind of uh, power, of energy, and you should keep producing it if uh, you need to help many people. And uh, if uh, psychotherapists do not know how to nourish themselves, I think they should know how to generate uh, feelings of joy and happiness every day to nourish themselves, to be strong enough to continue. And the second thing they have to do is to know how to handle the suffering within themselves. 
without that uh, they will run out of compassion in a short time and cannot continue and that applies to every one of us who want to serve society we should be able to nourish ourselves by the art of happiness there is an art called the art of happiness and it's simple enough we bring our mind home to our body by the way of mindful breathing mindful walking and we establish ourselves in the here and the now just by walking meditation breathing meditation and then in the here and the now we get in touch with the wonders of life that are available in the here and the now the kingdom of god that is in the here and the now in order to get the nourishment you need and you can help nourish your beloved one with that, that kind of thing and then the art of suffering is uh, should we go together with the art of happiness you should know how to handle a painful feeling a painful emotion with the energy of mindfulness and concentration and with uh, the practice of uh, mindfulness and concentration embracing your pain you suffer much less you know how to bring a relief and you can go you can go further by trans transforming this uh, energy into positive energy like understanding and love Again, thank you for being with us today. The Into the Magic Shop podcast can be found where you find your most popular podcasts, or you can find us at intothemagicshop.com. Mm-hmm.